YSF podcast. This is your host, Ezra Siddiqui. As a reminder, YSF is my platform to educate the Muslim and South Asian community about local and national politics. You can find my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and TuneIn, or hear them every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on Radio Azad. You can also follow me on social media, such as Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, the handle is WiseUp or WiseUpTX, and you can check out my website, WiseUpTX.com. Remember, everyone, let's become educated, let's get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot. So today's podcast, I'll be covering the news from the past two weeks, and the title of this podcast is called Deafening Silence. I feel like there has been a lot of traumatic news coming out these past couple of weeks, and I feel like a lot of the public has been very silent about these traumatic events along with the media. So I wanted to cover them and discuss the different ways that we can help these people. So the first story I'm going to start with is the devastation that is occurring in Syria. There was a video and a photo that went viral about a little boy um, who was picked up from an ambulance um, because of an airstrike that occurred. And while we are unable to place who actually is the cause for the airstrike, whether it was the Russian army or the government of Syria under um, Assad, it was just very devastating to see his face. He had, you know, his face was covered in dirt and blood was running down the side of his head. And the way the video kind of zoomed in on him and he was just looked absolutely disoriented, confused. And when he wiped the side of his face, um, he saw that there was blood on there and was trying to wipe the blood off the seat. And it was just a very horrifying and deeply saddening moment. And anybody who watched it, especially those that have kids, you know, the first thought that goes through your head is, oh my God, what if that was my kid? And so it really um, reverberated all throughout the world, um, that video and that photo did. And so, you know, many of the people who are all always following the Syria crisis, you know, had this statement that, you know, because you've seen this one photo, do you not realize that there are thousands of other children that are suffering and that he's one in hundreds of thousands of kids that have been going through this? We all know that in Syria, millions of people have been displaced because of the war. There doesn't seem to be any sort of end result coming out. We don't see any light at the end of the tunnel that this war could be resolved. And while many of us American Muslims are very upset that maybe our country isn't doing a great job and we feel very helpless in being able to help these people, I think there are several things that we can do. You can obviously donate to certain organizations such as the Karam Foundation, K-A-R-A-M Foundation.org or the Sunrise-USA organization, which is S-U-N-R-I-S-E-USA.org. There's also White Helmets, um, W-H-I-T-E-H-E-L-M-E-T-S.org. And then there is the Syrian American um, Refugee organization. It's SAMS, S-A-M-S-USA.net. And those are some of the um, foundations you can donate to that have been helping um, the Syrian kids and the people. There is also another thing that we can do, and I definitely think that's contacting our representatives. 
especially those that are on the national level, because on the local level, they're not really able to do much with um, foreign affairs. So I definitely think contacting your local representatives who are working in Congress and in the Senate and discussing with them about how you feel that we need to do more for the Syrian um, children and for the Syrian people and what is our government's plan to try and help end this crisis. And I definitely think writing letters to them and contacting them, um, while we may not see a result right away, it is something that we can do, especially if we're sending them in bulk and we're sending them to the legislators to actually become more active in trying to help uh, deal with this crisis. The next crisis um, I'm going to discuss is the Baton Rouge crisis. Um, it is occurring in the state that is neighboring to the east of us and they are dealing with flooding that is absolutely catastrophic and for some odd reason the media has barely been covering it. They've shown that at least 11 lives have been lost, 44,000 people have been displaced from their homes, and they really, really need our help. So two of the biggest organizations that you can donate to is the Salvation Army and the Red Cross. It seems that President Obama will eventually be making his way down there to try and assess the situation and see what else um, the federal government can do. But majority of these people have lost their homes, all of their belongings, um, there have been reported stories of how they took a bunch of stuff and put them in literally grocery bags and just fled. And that's all that they have with them. They have nothing else. So these people really, really need our attention and they really need our help. Um, we need to try and donate to them. And I know that when the Flint, Michigan water crisis happened and several other crises have happened that a lot of the South Asian and Muslim communities have banded together to try and help them out. I hope that we can get together and do something along those lines for the Baton Rouge people as well. Now the next um, circumstance I'm going to discuss isn't necessarily a violent crisis that is going on, but it is the Baltimore Department of Justice report that was dealing with the Baltimore um, Police Department. And I found the results to be absolutely appalling, like the fine findings that they had and I felt like while the media covered it here and there our community wasn't really outraged with a lot of the findings as I felt like we should have been especially since our community has been dealing with a lot of bigotry and racism and the way that the found findings came out for the Baltimore PD um, report it was just it was just insane like jaw-dropping literally I mean they had these reports of cops planting um drugs on innocent people in order to take them in. They had caught um, police officers telling other officers to make up something, like make up some sort of crime in order to stop and check somebody. They had talked about, you know, locking up all those with the black hoodies in reference to the Trayvon Martin incidents. There had been stories of beating an 80-year-old African-American woman. Um, and it goes on and on. And I think what to me was the most shocking part is that every single news outlet that you read, and they all had these titles of the 10 most shocking things from the Department of Justice report, they were all different. That's how many different and shocking and appalling things that were found from the report that none of the news media outlets could determine or 
you know, have an overlap of those 10 most shocking things. There were several of them. And I felt like it got media attention for a day and then people just kind of moved on. But I really think this needed more attention because the fact that this much racism and bigotry still exists, and especially with, you know, the police department that is there and supposed to protect us, when that really wasn't happening for the African-American community in Baltimore is a very scary thing. And while I'm not saying that all police officers are bad, I don't think that at all, um, I do think that this is something that is really stemming from systemic racism, and it's something that needs to be addressed. And it's something that the South Asian Muslim community should be aware about, and we should be wanting to discuss these types of problems because we definitely know that there are if there is systemic racism and bias for the African-American community, that can definitely carry over to the South Asian and Muslim communities. So in order to fix this issue so that it doesn't continuously happen to us and other marginalized communities, we need to all work together in a coalition to make sure that these problems are accounted for, that they're addressed, and that they will be eventually fixed. So I thought it was very shocking that our community wasn't um, discussing the horrific findings of this um, DOJ report. So I hope that some of you will actually take the time to look in on it. And I'm pretty sure in my blog post I will have the links so that you can read about um, the report and just, you know, have it sink in as to the stuff that had actually been occurring to the African American community in Baltimore. Moving on, another um, scenario that I wanted to discuss was the North Carolina um, voter ID law. And I don't know if you recall in Texas a couple weeks ago, the federal court had struck it down as well, considering it um, to be discriminatory. Um, that was the Supreme Court. And I believe another federal court struck it down for North Carolina. And if you had actually read some of the blips that had come out from the report, it was very blatant that they had done it in a sense, to make sure that African Americans would be unable to vote. So they had this early voting period for two weeks, and it included a Sunday, and it seemed that many African Americans after Sunday church would go and vote. And so they limited the early voting to where that Sunday was completely cut out and eliminated so that less African Americans would vote, and therefore it seemed that the Republican Party could maintain its uh, majority and control in the in their um, state senate legislatures. And so, I mean, that was just, I mean, it's just insane that they would blatantly put in their court documents, and that was their main argument, that they were essentially attempting to hinder African Americans from voting when it is their right, their constitutional right. And so, again, this goes back to systemic racism. And while it is not directly affecting South Asians or Muslims, it has a potential to because we already know how much racism and negativity the Islamic and South Asian community has been facing. And if this can happen to the African-American community who have been here for hundreds of years, who have contributed so much to society, who's to say that this doesn't carry over to us? I mean, we already see Donald Trump having his statements about how um, Muslim people need to take a test or that they need to be banned or deported, etc., etc. So... 
these things we need to be vigilant for and we need to be on top of the news because if we see these things happening to other marginalized communities, again, we need to step in and, you know, defend other marginalized communities' uh, constitutional rights because while it's not our community, we are all one nation and we need to learn to work together and to be open-minded of other communities' um, problems so that these problems don't occur to any other marginalized communities. We can stop them where it's already occurring. And now I'm going to move on to where um, the health insurance company Aetna has decided to leave um, Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. Um, they will not be offering plans under the Affordable Care Act anymore. And there seemed to have been a report that came out about how um, President Obama's administration was against a merger between Aetna and Humana. And their main reason for being against this merger is um, they felt that, you know, there's already five main insurance companies in America and four of them were wanting to merge, so then there would only be three. And they felt that this wouldn't allow for um, competition and that these insurance companies you know, would have dominance over the market and that it, there wouldn't be competition and great rates for the public in, in general. So while Aetna um, consistently stated that it wasn't because of the merger, um, like blocking the merger that they were leaving, they were stating that because they needed the merger in order to um, financially sustain themselves. And if the merger wasn't allowed to happen, they couldn't financially sustain themselves. And there seemed to have been a letter that was from Aetna CEO um, to the Obama administration stating that if they block the merger, this is the reason why they were going to fall out. And it seemed like it was a threat. And so you had a lot of people on social media getting upset about it, um, especially the political pundits. I didn't see as many people from the general public getting upset about it. But I think this is something we should be upset about because... I don't think it's right, personally, for a company to lord over our government, lord over its head, basically, that, oh, unless you follow whatever we want to do, then we're dropping out of these government programs. I mean, the purpose of the government is to help the general public, is to make sure that we're protected. And when you have these businesses who are already making billions and billions of dollars, I highly doubt Aetna is poor by any means, um, trying to you know, negotiate with the government that, oh, unless you do this, we're completely dropping out, and then you're essentially hurting the general public, I don't think that's right, I don't think that's fair, and I don't think that's ethical. And that's why I think this instance was something for us to be more upset and angry about, but unfortunately it didn't gain as much traction as I thought it would. Although I personally think this is a prime example of pure corporate greed and the fallout of Aetna from ACA and the Obamacare situation, I think, is going to have very um, negative and lasting impacts for um, especially the poorer population in America who are trying to attain health care. Moving on, we have two exceptionally sad stories that I think really have to do with Islamophobia. There was a gentleman by the name of Khalid. He was actually a Lebanese Christian, and him and his family reside in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and a couple of months ago, his mother had actually been jogging in the neighborhood, and a um, gentleman 
who was very much, um, seemed like he was basically racist, he ran his mother over. She was in the hospital. She had a lot of broken bones. And he was in jail. He eventually came out on bail and was awaiting his trial. And in the meantime, while he was waiting, he continued to make threatening remarks to this family. And he ended up coming over to the house and Khaled was sitting on the front porch and he was shot dead by this person. And Khaled had called the police a couple hours earlier feeling scared. He had told them that he knew that this guy had a gun. They had a history of um, a lot of incidences where this guy was obviously very racist to the family. And while this story gained some traction, I felt like the main media didn't cover it, cover it enough. And I think that a lot of politicians need to realize that this negative view that they're giving about Muslims in America has been making huge ripple waves and effects all throughout America and has been really endangering the lives of many American Muslims. And they're not realizing this. And so I think the story of Khalid was exceptionally scary because this guy, who's not even a Muslim, but just looked Muslim, was shot for his perceived beliefs. And another thing I wanted to point out was I don't understand why there's been no proper gun control. I know we've discussed this several times, but how is it that this gentleman, who had a jail record for a violent crime, was able to attain a gun? I mean, if he wasn't able to attain again, this probably wouldn't have happened. And so those are two things that I think we really need to think about. And again, I've stated before that gun control needs to be something that our community really discusses with our future legislators as to that being a very high priority um, to have some sort of law or some sort of regulation that's going to do something about gun control. There was the other really sad incident in Queens, New York, where an imam from a mosque and another gentleman named Tara Uddin, so the imam's name is Malanma Akonji, and they were shot in broad daylight right outside of the mosque. And what was really shocking is that the NYPD didn't initially consider it a hate crime and they didn't discuss it to be a hate crime. And of course, we should always be um, vigilant before we say something that could become untrue because we know how the media runs with it. But it was very intriguing at the fact that you know, one of the gentlemen had $1,000 on him. It wasn't stolen from him. They were just shot from behind. The video blatantly showed that there didn't seem to be any struggle or altercation or anything of that sort. And they ended up catching the suspect. But I thought it was very sad that the NYPD was unwilling to consider it a hate crime when you know if a Muslim American or any sort of Muslim person commits any sort of crime in America, they automatically link it to terrorism. And I just find that to be exceptionally hypocritical. But it was nice to see that the media was, or the social media, like such as Twitter and Facebook, was calling it out for what it was when they did end up catching the suspect. And people were really saying that this should have been called a hate crime and didn't understand why the NYPD didn't do so. Now I know that this all was a lot of news to take in, but I really wanted to discuss all of these topics because I felt like while it was a lot of news, they weren't getting as much attention either from media in general in America or from our community, whether it was the Muslim community or the South Asian community. 
And I think one thing that we need to realize is that we cannot expect other communities to necessarily understand the plights that we are going through until we are understanding and willing to listen and also share the other plights other marginalized communities are going through. Not even just marginalized, just the other really sad situations that are happening in America. And so all I'm asking for all of y'all is to not be silent. To not be silent about the injustices that are happening in your own country, whether it's the Muslim community, the South Asian community, um, the African American community, I mean, to stand up against all forms of bigotry. And in order for us to achieve some sort of success in, you know, stopping the hate, we need to all come together, not as a community, but as a nation as a whole. And the best way to start change is to start within yourself. So if you're one of those that posts a lot about the traumatic situations that are happening in Syria and across the Muslim world, I also ask you to post about the very traumatic situations that are happening in America as well because we are American and these are also our people and we need to do a better job of reaching out to those other communities and helping them out um, with their difficult situations. And so while the stories that have affected us in our communities, we feel the deafening silence from other communities, we are also guilty of being silent for other communities that have been suffering. And that is why I titled this podcast Deafening Silence. So I hope you all will take the time to really reach out to these other communities and to try and help them out and to make sure and share their stories as well because they need to be heard. Finally, I am adding a new part to the podcast segment where I have listeners message me questions that they may have that I can answer on here. So I have a question from the gentleman Salman Amlani from Pearland, Texas, which is a suburb right outside of Houston. And he was curious as to who the independent presidential candidates were because he's unhappy with both choices of Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. And I can answer that for you. From the Green Party, you have Dr. Jill Stein, who is from Massachusetts. And from the Libertarian Party, you have the former governor of New Mexico, Gary Johnson. You can both check out both of their websites and learn more about their platforms. So I want to thank Mr. Amani for being the first question on this podcast. So please, if you have any further questions to ask and want to hear them on this podcast, you can email me at wiseuptx at gmail.com. You can also go to my website. I have a contact page and you can uh, enter your question in there. So I really look forward to hearing some more questions from my listeners and I hope that we'll, you know, have this become a more interactive part of the podcast. Well, that's my segment for today. I hope you all will not be silent anymore and will take the initiative to discuss with your community, with your legislators and local politicians about some of the very sad and traumatic stuff that is happening in our country and around the world because the best way for us to really see change is to become involved. And so I really hope that you all will start doing that. Again, don't forget to check me out on social media, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or check out my website, www.wiseuptx.com. Remember everyone, let's become educated, let's get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot. Until next time.